0: Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blumson, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the global news stories that matter. Huawei's transformation into a global consumer brand is under threat after it was placed on a banned entity list by the White House. Malcolm Moore discusses the background to the US move and what happens next with Nick Files in London and Louise Lucas in Hong Kong.
1: Okay, so... It has been a topsy-turvy few days for Huawei, starting last Friday. Louise, can you just talk us through a little bit about what's happened?
0: First of all, the US, which has long prevented Huawei from selling its equipment into the main national carriers, went a step further and then stopped US companies from exporting parts and components to Huawei, which effectively totally disrupts their supply chain. It would make it very hard for them to get hold of parts. Yesterday, what we then saw was Google saying that they wouldn't be able to avail themselves of the Android operating system bar the basic one that's obviously open source, which is obviously a huge problem if you're trying to sell smartphones outside China. And I think that was kind of a crux moment when people realized just how bad this was going to be, not just on the kit side where they sell infrastructure, but also on the smartphones.
1: Okay, so let's just unpick all of that a little bit. Nick? Huawei, they're the second biggest maker of smartphones in the world now. They overtook Apple last quarter. What do they need in terms of US components? So let's leave the Google thing to one side for a moment. What are the other things that they need from the
2: U.S.? Mainly we're talking chips. Also glass, calling as a supplier to that company, but we're talking things like random access memory, the sort of front end of the chips, which are provided by a variety of companies, not just in smartphones, but also in the equipment too. So choking them off at this supply level is a pretty effective method to stop them in their tracks.
1: Okay, and what would Huawei do if they lose access to U.S. chips and glass?
2: Well, they've been talking yesterday about the fact that nobody should panic, that they've been stockpiling for some time, they've got enough components to keep supply. We're talking about sort of one year and in terms of spare parts for components, five years. We'll see if that holds water because they're sort of in a hiatus period. But as it stands, especially on the software front, this is a really big moment. And how does the US justify this sort of ban, putting them on this list, which means US companies can't trade with them? It's national security, isn't it? They said they're using the cloak of national security, saying Huawei are a security risk. As we've heard in recent months repeatedly from U.S. officials, they see them as an untrusted company that American companies shouldn't be dealing with. So without much detail, without the smoking gun we've all been waiting for, they've taken this move to, as I said, sort of smother them basically at that supply level.
1: Right. Are they worried about Huawei reverse engineering U.S. technology and trying to steal chip design?
2: It's always been a worry with Huawei and all Chinese companies going back to the company original business which was more basic telecoms equipment which American companies like Cisco were developing they have accused Huawei of ip infringement t-mobile sort of breaking into a facility and sort of stealing robotics technology so it's in the mix but it doesn't seem to be the main driver for this
1: But this does come against the backdrop of this overarching trade war between the two sides and right in the middle of some pretty delicate negotiations.
2: Yes. Huawei have described themselves as being a bit like a football court in the middle of this trade war. The Americans are trying to say it's nothing to do with the trade war. It is literally national security and risk associated with this company and being in the telecoms networks. Okay.
1: So that was a big blow. And then, Louise, yesterday we got an even bigger blow for Huawei. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened there?
0: The Android bank was part and parcel of the same thing. Up until that point, people had really been focusing much more on what Nick has been talking about, the chips and things, which are physical things that are easy to stockpile. This is a sort of wake-up moment for people realizing, well, actually, the software that they're reliant upon as well, and it's clearly not just in terms of Android. Now, obviously, they have talked about building their own operating system, which, A, the, um, the precedent on that is pretty lousy because you've heard everyone has sought to try and do that at various times, including Samsung, for example, and it's never really taken off. It's very hard to get traction. And particularly outside China, it would be very hard to imagine somebody buying into a form where they couldn't go onto YouTube, Gmail, or anything else. So that then made people suddenly realise, actually, this could mean that all their sales outside China suddenly fall away, and that's roughly half the sales go to outside China.
1: So it wouldn't really hurt Huawei's China business, but actually it would really hurt all the sort of international sales?
0: Absolutely, particularly in places where they're trying to build up in Europe and even India.
2: The other element of this is one of the reasons other operating systems, and there have been a lot, Palm, Nokia tried, Intel tried, BlackBerry tried. You know, these are big names, with big customer bases, but part of the issue is scale. The Android and iOS between them have virtually 100% of the market. So if you're an app developer that's developing something that is going to fly with consumers... Why would you develop for a Huawei system that potentially is only going to be available on a few phones? So it's a very higher barrier of entry as opposed to five or six years ago now to be launching an OS.
1: But given the share that Huawei has of the mobile market and given how quickly it's growing, presumably that's also bad for Google. They presumably want Android to be on as many phones as possible.
2: Oh, absolutely. And it's been a sort of gateway into China where Google isn't allowed to offer some of its other services, but Android is there. So it's given them access to the world's largest telecoms market.
1: So then, uh, the drama continues, shortly after we confirmed that this Android ban was coming into place, we suddenly hear there's going to be a 90-day reprieve. What does that mean, Louise?
0: It doesn't seem it's going to mean a whole lot for Huawei itself. It does appear that this is mainly about helping out the US suppliers, who presumably have been squealing to Washington, because stuff that they have in the system that they're ready to ship out, it lets them clear anything that's in the way. But for Huawei, another three months. I mean, A, they have been stockpiling. B, as we see, the issues are on the software side for a lot of things. And in any case, three months doesn't really help them one way or the other. The other set of people it possibly helps is some of the carriers, particularly people here talking about the European carriers, who, if they do need to start thinking about switching vendors, if there's going to be a problem in Huawei's supply chain. But again, three months isn't anything like enough for them to start shunting over to a new supplier.
1: Okay, so is this another gambit in the trade negotiations? Is this just more leverage that the US can hold over China?
0: That's exactly how it's being read with the added wild card, that it's Trump in here and no one really knows had he spoken with the tech companies who knew what was happening before was put onto the entity list. But I mean, it's definitely, as Nick says, it's very much being viewed as, you know, the backdrop is a trade war and the bigger picture, which is the US still fretting about China's rising Tech might and trying to keep them in the
1: box. I guess one group of people that injects a lot of uncertainty for is the mobile phone carriers themselves. Nick, I know you spoke to some of them yesterday. You know, they're all about to roll out the next generation of mobile internet 5G, and they were all planning on having Huawei handsets right at the center of that rollout. What are they
2: going to do? And the timing of this is amazing. If you're a UK telecoms company, at least two of them are going to be talking a lot about 5G in the coming weeks. And as you said, Malcolm, Huawei handsets were front and centre. Now, on the handset front, it's a problem, but it's not like they were launching only with Huawei. I mean, uh, we're hearing names like Xiaomi, OnePlus, so they've got options. For those people that want to buy a 5G handset on day one, you've got an alternative. As Louise alluded to there, though, the real issue is, as always, with the equipment itself. Networks have been planning for a 5G launch for two years. This isn't something that you decide last week. And they will really want clarity on you know what they should be buying, what they should be building. So that's why the timing of this entity list and this ban on Huawei looks very, very much aimed at Europe too, because the UK is about to go, other countries will follow shortly after. And this is really going to make everybody sit up and think. And talking to the telecoms companies, the 90-day reprieve is considered a stay of execution, but they're actually hoping what it suggests is that this gives them leeway for a trade deal to come and hopefully this problem goes away. But they are all contingency planning as we speak. Right.
1: And of course, the reason that they all want Huawei handsets at the heart of their 5G launches because they're incredibly popular with consumers. Now, if you're a consumer and you think, OK, I want to buy a new Huawei phone. Let's be clear, by the way, the Android ban doesn't apply to existing phones. It's just future handsets. Uh-huh. But anybody thinking about buying a handset now,
2: what should they do? Should it's- they hold off three months? Should they wait and see? You've sort of answered the question and I wouldn't walk into a car phone warehouse and buy a Huawei phone now because you just don't know. There's so much uncertainty about it. So in terms of a hammer to hit Huawei, this has proved very effective because they haven't just hit them at the political level now. This is the first time we've seen them hit the consumer level. And yeah, as I said, I mean, if I'm looking at a, a Huawei phone and reading these headlines or if I'm looking at a Xiaomi or a OnePlus, what are you going to do? You're going to buy the one that you think is probably going to work in two years time, which is the length of your contract. And Louise,
0: the other point, Malcolm, oh. the other point is that you say, as we need to be clear, it doesn't affect existing ones. But that message is obviously going to be lost on a lot of consumers. And I think already in New Zealand, there was a rush of people trying to return their phones or worry about it. And, you know, the Huawei guy there to come out and say, no, no, you don't need to return your phones. You'll be OK. So there is a lot of confusion, especially when it comes to consumers.
1: And Louise, from Huawei's perspective, what do they do over the next three months? Do they bank on a political solution or do they have any
0: alternatives? There's not a great deal they can do in their three months. Their sort of line is, well, look, we've already gone into our contingency plans. We're not worried because we've done all these things that we've been doing. But I think that is just a reality that it may be a sort of stay of execution, but it's not really enough for them to turn things around. The question that they'll be wondering is, will this be rolled over again? There's no precedent on this. I mean, ZTE previously got one of these temporary licenses, but, you know, they got through that. They did what they had to do. This is
1: uncharted water this time, though. OK. Thank you very much.
0: That was Malcolm Moore, Technology News Editor, talking to Louise Lucas in Hong Kong and Nick Files in London. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on the political cost of Pakistan's IMF loan, the shocking truth about plastics in the world's oceans, or Twitter chief Jack Dorsey's fitness regime, you can find them all on the usual podcast platforms.